If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. Police responded to a 911 call. Dramatic video of gun insanity in the Bronx. Police releasing a new video of a person that they are still trying to track down. Defund the police is not the answer. Many people surveyed said they just don't feel safe in the city. It's a shooting outside of a store. This is Bo Deedles. True crime. Police this morning are searching for the person who turned this Harlem platform to a crime scene. A Red Apple Media Podcast Network production. Now, here's Bo Deedle. Welcome to Bo Deedle's True Crime Story. I'm real excited today. I got a real great guest. And uh, you know what his name is? I got to use the proper title. Judge George Grasso. But he's not just a judge. His roots and his foundation is my old alma mater, the New York City Police Department. And uh, he's uh, close to me, but not that close. I uh, came on in 1970. This old bastard came on in 1979. <laughs> so now I could talk to a guy from my era because everybody I talked to, I had Bratton on here. I had, uh, I, I had uh, what's his name, the other commissioner there, uh, uh, my friend there uh, from the NYPD, the Marine Colonel. And he, oh, Ray Kelly. Ray Kelly. I have all these guys. They're kind of old too. But I'm glad to have guys in my range here. But, George, you've had a remarkable career, and uh, and I really want to talk about it. And then we could talk about your attempt now to get into this shit world of politics, <laughs> which you know I've been dabbling in that since I retired. And I know the good and the bad and the ugly. And, uh, you know, when I started out, when I retired, I never wanted to retire. Mm-hmm. And uh, I broke my, my leg skydiving with a couple of towel Saudi Arabian princes in California. Mm. I had 30 line of duties. I could have got three quarters. So when I got back, they go like this, uh, we're not putting you on full duty, Bo. I said, ah. mm. I, I was, I, we just locked up the guy. His name is the arresting officer where I was part of a great task force, the uh, Palm Sunday Massacre, 10 dead, yeah, 8 children. Yeah, sure, I remember that, yeah. So we were supposed to get promoted, all that kind of shit. Yeah. And then I went to California. I jumped out of a plane, broke my leg. Make a long story short, they said, well, you'll have to do light duty. Mm. And I got so depressed and, you know, I was at the top of my game. Yeah. I actually threw my papers in. What I threw in there was millions of dollars of three quarters that I could have gotten. Mm. And I retired in half paid, which is taxed, no variable. Yeah, yeah. I'm sitting with a couple of Suffolk County guys yeah, on Monday, and the guys tell me, oh, yeah, my pension's $26,000 uh, tax-free a month. And I go, $26,000 tax-free? I said, my pension's $26,000 a year tax yeah. So, you know, I admit it. Seems it co- like you figured it out, though. Well, you know, yeah. it was probably the yeah. best break of my life when Nick put me on the cover of New York Magazine. The rest is over. But you can't look back. That's like right. I tell everybody, I've done bad things in my life. Mm. I haven't been bad in relationships. I punched out a couple of guys, but I always say I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. And uh, we move on. But it's not about Bo Deedle. It's about my friend, George Grasso. And I'm really honored because I've talked to some people about you before I did this show. Mm-hmm. Be honest with you. Not one guy had a bad word to say. Oh, that's about very you. nice to know. And I, and I really am excited about talking because usually I get, oh, <laughs> this one's a this, this one's a that. 
you don't have that. Let's talk about your career. What made you come on the uh, NYPD, George? <laughs> I'm going to be brutally honest. I missed the bus. I missed the bus. You know, I, I went to your college in Southeast Queens, and at that Hold time— Hold on. we got to stop right yeah, there. Yeah, Because I didn't do the proper thing. Yeah. So, uh, so Judge George Grasso was a uh, Supreme Court judge or a criminal court? I, I, was, I was actually appointed as a criminal court judge but in, in 2010 by Bloomberg. But yeah. in 2012, yeah. they made me an acting Supreme Court judge. And then I ultimately retired as the administrative judge in Queens Supreme Court criminal term. I retired yeah, my back friend, in Tommy Fennell over there. Tommy Fennell was the uh, lieutenant in charge of investigations in Queens DA's office. Yeah. yeah. No, and that so no, now yeah. let's go back to the police career. Yeah. Fast. Yeah. So yeah, I, I went to your college. It was on Jamaica. Maker Avenue at the time. Near Gertz? And, uh, where near, they had those nice uh, custards, yeah. remember? I, I know Gertz well. I went in there to buy Broadway Q8. show. I used to Broadway, take the Q8 you could get those. show tickets there. I got two tickets to Greece, and it was the first date with my wife yeah. back in uh, 1977. And I picked them up because I, I walked by it every day going to school. So... I used to take the uh, bus at the Jamaica Terminal. Yeah. One day in, in 79, early 79, uh, I walk into the terminal. My bus is leaving. I knew I have an extra half hour. You know the 103 is right there by, well, the, by the, the bus terminal. terminal. over there. The terminal and the 103 is practically— I used to take the, the Q8, Jerome yeah, Avenue. Go yeah, ahead. Yeah. So the 103 station house is practically across the street from the Jamaica Terminal. Yeah. So I had heard they were giving a police test. I had a 77 79. Oh, 79. Early 79. First test post layoffs. Okay, because I— I was one of the guys. Yeah. Uh, 1975. I was one of the. Uh, I think there was uh, 4,000 or 5,200. One of those numbers. Yeah. We were laid off. I was only yeah. laid off for two days. Yeah. And then I was on the Brooklyn Bridge demonstrating yeah. with the guys. Yeah. I had at that point. I had 40. Uh, uh, Meritorious yeah, and accommodations, yeah, yeah, right. and I'm up there with a rack of mora. And then Chief Mitchelson was on a horse and he was charged. I says, "Hey, Chief." We're part of you. I still had my gun and my badge. Yeah. I got reinstated. And everybody said, Bo, stay out of it. Yeah. And I used to be in the station house mm -hmm. back then, and I was fighting in the in the muster room. Hey, <laughs> we got to get these guys on, because we had a lot of Vietnam veterans sure. that came back from Vietnam, right. and they went on, and they were laid off. And they would, the old timers would say to me, Bo, you're back on. Why don't you worry about yourself? I said, that's the problem. Nobody's worried about these guys that gave up their whole life to become a cop. And they're, damn it, they were good cops. Yeah. So basically, I fought for them. But 77 was a big year. Yeah. You got the blackout, the riots. Sure. Ahead. Yeah, but 79 is yeah. when I... So it was the first test to test in 79, post layoff. Uh -huh. And I had heard they were given a test. And I had an uncle, you might have worked with him along the way, a guy named Carl Capasso. He was in the 6'9". He was in street crime. I only know Andy Capasso. Well, no, his name was his. his well, well, Andy was well, the one and, that was. Andy was actually his cousin. Well, Andy was the one that was by. I know who you. I know who you mean. Who was he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mr. Myerson. Yeah, that's Myerson. Yes, he was actually the cousin yeah. of my uncle, and they had the same exact name, wow. Carl, and their nickname was Andy. Everybody wow. called him Andy. So I was my uncle. So Andy. you take the moron test. Yeah, now, the it, test was a moron. Yeah, test. yeah. But so I go into the one. You're gonna love this story. So I know I had about a half hour on my hands. Was it a walk-in? I walked into the 103 station house. I said, one guy, cops behind the day would call, remember the term, handbag? Yeah. This guy was out of Central. What do you want? I said, I'm here for the, you know, I heard that kid application. Please, I was a 21-year-old kid. He's like, get out of here while you still can. Leave now. That was the recruitment at the time. I said, Just give me an app. I ended up with a 99 on the test. Yeah, but they, and, did and they showed it. Did they have the same test? Because I took the test back in 1966 as a yeah, proof. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. 
And then they showed me a clock and asked me what time it was. Yeah. I think I got a 99. I don't yeah. know how I didn't yeah. get the other one. Yeah. It wasn't exactly a <laughs> Metza test. Am I correct? It wasn't physics. <laughs> <laughs> but go ahead. Yeah, so the next thing I knew. Now, I always wanted to be a lawyer. So as the work, it all worked out. I had taken the LSAT in October 79, and then I, boom, I get a letter appointing me to the class in November 779. I took the job. I took Wait, the oath. you took the test in 79? I took the test in June, and I got appointed in November. Get out of town. Because it was the first post-layoff test. So uh. we were down to like 22,000 cops at that Total. time. Total. Wow. Total. So they went, and it was only a relatively small. this came off thing. a high. What was a high prior to? that a high. Oh, we, we had had back in pre-NAP, we had been over 30,000. Uh, and then, and we, went down to and then we went down to like 21 with the layoffs mm. and all of that. So when Koch started to make cops, but my class was relatively small, it was only 400. Uh -huh. So I took that oath November 79 thinking, wow. you know what? If anything happens to knock me off my plan to go to law school, I'm going to just quit. But what ends up happening, I'm in the academy. Yeah. I found out you can actually make an application to, for a scholarship to St. John. I remember the woman, Miss Sinclair. She was I remember Miss that Sinclair. Name. She I mean, was in the library. And, and she said, you know, you're only in the academy. Yeah, I know, but please give me the application. Guess what? I got the scholarship. Wow. So, so I'm like a brand new cop. September, to, September, or, or 80, September 80, I got a foot post in Jamaica. I got a full scholarship to St. John's Night Program. I was in so heaven. You were the guy when I would be, when I would be responding to uh, robberies in progress, 1013, that was freaking studying in, in Flesh Pond, <laughs> and you guys were <laughs> no. studying for those tests. Come on. Come on. I, I studied in the, now I was a study. George, I actually, I'll never forget when I just came on, <laughs> I was assigned to the 110, and all the old hair bags yeah. would be studying for the sergeant, lieutenant, captain. Captain's test, and there would be a run, uh, a robbery project. Yeah. I actually went with the radio car, banged the back in the car, said, get out of get, put your books away. Come on, back me up. I was a steady midnight <laughs> cop in the 6th Street. So great steady partner, Pat Pesh. And uh, he's going to listen to this. Hello, Patty, at some hey, point. Hey, Patty, don't Great buddy. guy. And and I did have the law book in the back seat when we had a meal hour. All right, all right. You, know, you don't have to say it. But, but. But we, but what was good for me is we had what we called the scooter show chart. So we would get two days off one week, three days off the, and yeah. I get three days off in the middle of the week. Yeah. So it was great for studying, uh -huh. and I made the collars on the weekends, mm -hmm. and you know Pat made them during the week, and we had a great team, and it was uh, a one. I would actually be six to ten at St. John's learning about search and seizure, making car stops on Flatbush Avenue at two o'clock in the morning. So you took your first with time. the law book in the back seat. So you you were studying in college, very yeah, good, yeah. and then you were smart. I was dumb, but. Yeah. Listen, because I wanted to go to college, I couldn't afford yeah. it. So I just said, let me just be a detective, be mm -hmm. a cop, and do my thing. Mm -hmm. And that's what I did. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. When did you take the sergeant test? When did you get made sergeant? I, I took the sergeant's test in 83. Mm -hmm. And I just took it, you know. You had to have three years? My, 
what I don't know, whatever it is, I had enough to take uh -huh. the test. And I took it kind of as a last minute. My I, my studying was, is I updated the patrol guide, which I hadn't updated since I so got out of the so academy. So you were so yeah. with your studies that this test was like a comic book. Well you, know, well, you know, the thing about it is, I'm telling you, I got like 18 wrong on that test. I was not a top of the list guy. Yeah. And the funny thing is, but I took it and I, I got enough right that I got on the list. Now, what ends up happening is Ward... May, uh, basically appointed the entire list on Thanksgiving of 1985 because he got wind that there was going to be a lawsuit. Yeah, I retired. Yeah, February 14, yeah, 1985. Yeah. yeah, but guess what? I got sick. It was Thanksgiving, and I was watching the Jet game. I sent my wife to with the relatives and yeah. I this, you know, bad sore throat and stuff. But you know what the hell? I'm going to make the best of it watch a Jet game. I get a call from a buddy. And he's like, hey, George, they promoted the entire list. Hundreds of people. Did you get a call yet? I said, I get no call. Yeah. And this guy was behind me on the list. Yeah. So I thought he was you know, pulling my chain. Yeah. So I call, I don't know if you remember the name Lowell Stahl. He was such a gentleman. Stahl, I Lowell, Stahl. great guy, great guy. He was this man that went on to become PC's uh, commanding officer for about 15 years, legendary. But he was a captain in employee relations. I never, Captain Stahl, what's happening? I'm getting missed. I'll, I'll come in right away. Well, we just had to pass over you guys. In any event, December 6th, they got to me and I got promoted sergeant, sergeant. December 6th of 83. We're just all working there as a sergeant. Well, as a sergeant, you're still studying. You're well, still well you know what? I was in my last year of law school. Already? I was in my last year of wow. law school, and uh, I had been then put in the department advocate's office. The legal area. So the, legal the, le the, le the legal, well, not technically legal, department advocate did discipline, right? That kind okay. of like the prosecutorial arm yeah. of the PD. So On then command I, disciplines and all well, that. Well, you know what? I got involved, ended up in that job in the advocate's office. I ended up very quickly by 1985 as a brand, actually 86 as a brand new side. You remember the Buddy Boys cases, the 7-7 mm -hmm. yeah, case. Yeah, yeah, There was a guy, John Walsh. And he was, was Byrne there yet? Byrne? Yeah, the lieutenant that was illegal, had a legal. John Byrne. You mean John Byrne? Who went on Matthew to be Byrne. Oh, Matt Byrne. Yeah. Matt Byrne was in the legal bureau. Right. He had Tom Flanagan's yeah. job. He was the CEO. Yeah. Was, I and got to his, know Matty Byrne. And then, and then, and then, and then you know, we all know what now, happened. Now, you know, with, Eddie, with his, yeah, with his son, son getting yeah. killed. But yeah. then the other son yeah. died so young, too. Yeah. What was his name? He was in the legal division yeah, again. I, don't, I didn't know the other yeah. son. Yeah, but okay. I knew Matt Byrne. So I ended up work in the 7-7 cases as a special wow. prosecutor under Ben Warden, the first deputy well, commissioner, we, we, Dick we Condon. Were, well, we, my, my feelings with my last case with the Palm Sunday Massacre, we right. had a great 200 great detectives on there. But I started on a, when you first got out of the academy in the 7-7, my first gun arrest, and I had a, I didn't even, uh, you know, I had a gray uniform on it. Yeah. We were trainees, and then you had a gray uniform. And all I know is I, I got a guy with a gun off the street. It was my first gun arrest in the 7-7. Yeah. Quite an active house, but good. Yeah, active house, but, you know, they were doing some real severe stuff. And that Dowd scumbag was the 7-5. Well, I also ended up doing the Dowd cases for Ray Kelly yeah. back in the early so that I was I horrific. Just, I became kind of like the go-to corruption internal prosecutor. And let me tell you, the, the seven seven cases, they were all on tape. There was a guy, Henry Winter. He was at the center. Winter was at the center of the case. Yeah. And they flipped him early. Yeah. And they wired him. This guy, Winter, they could have parachuted him into Afghanistan and put him in the CIA. He could BS 
Anybody. That case with him and his partner wired up for months. It lasted months. I was a junior partner with a guy named John Walsh prosecuting those. I had to listen to dozens of hours of these tapes. Let me tell you, Bo, it was disgusting. It was disgusting. Here I was, a brand doing? new cop less than 30. People, cops are putting their lives on the line, and these scumbags were robbing. Guns. And, you know, and when, when people Drugs. Go, oh, 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 you know, you were in internal affairs. You know what? Internal affairs is good because the good cops out there trying to do their damn job get always get tainted by the bad cops. These guys were hot. One guy, I'm telling you, this was on tape, so yeah. I heard it, ripped off a bag lady. A homeless bag lady wow. is in the 7-7. She's got a couple of bucks on her. He steals it, and he's laughing about it on the, record, on the recording. So what that did for me, I always am going to be, to my dying day, I am going to be so proud of the 30 years I spent in the NYPD. Nothing defines me more as an adult than those 30 years. But... You know what? That was a wake-up call. I love the job, but I understand the reality of the job. We got scum there. Well, and that's why that fired me up in terms of, hey, guys like me have to use the experience and the skills that they have to make sure we maintain our credibility. And when officers are doing things like ripping off bag ladies, they get fired. Because mm-hmm. that guy wasn't indicted. I fired that guy. I got Good. them all to resign. Good. I got them to be fired. And then that's kind of like my reputation. I, I ended up doing 10 years in discipline. I did the Dowd cases. I did the 7-7 cases. I was managing attorney of the advocate's office for five years. So why does no one have a bad thing to say about me? You would think it would be the opposite. I always kind of apply the golden rule. You know, that's kind of like my thing. Treat others the way you wouldn't want to be treated yourself. I look at a case, if I thought, yeah, you know, I can understand why it might look bad, but when you look at the entire totality of the evidence, the cop was really trying to do the right thing. Right. Maybe he made a mistake. If an arrest came down, he clocked the guy, he's trying to do his job. Well, it depends on how the clocking went, and it depends on the injury, but what I'm talking about is you look at the context of the situation. You look at the record of the officer. You look at the circumstances. If the officer was right, you say that officer was right. We're not prosecuting. If the officer was wrong and there's mitigating factors, you take the mitigating factors. On the other hand, if, say, you clock a guy and he's handcuffed, you know, you're going down, buddy. Let's say you're stealing. You're going down. Let's say you have a history of abuse. You're going down. But you've got to be able to look. So my early experience, even though I was young, even though my early experience was on patrol, and I did enough to recognize what was out there, but then I saw the other extreme. And, you know, I was proud to work with first deputy police commissioners like Dick Condon. Ray Kelly was originally the first dep when the Dowd cases hit, and then he became the police commissioner. Mm-hmm. And, and Ben Ward, too. He was quite serious about those 7-7 cases. Yeah. And so I got to see an aspect of the job early on that really influenced and stayed in my brain as I went up through all the ranks and became first deputy police commissioner for eight years. I fought with this my whole time on the job. Everyone knows I grew up with John Gotti, uh, Ralph and Joey Scope, all the wise guys in Ozone Park. This was at a time in the early 60s that the heroin epidemic was so pervasive 
all over the Italians. And well, that's a dirty little secret. The sons of these wise guys were shooting heroin. I know 10 guys that overdosed, but it was the dirty little secret. I was the kid that was built like a brick shit house, and the father took a liking to me. He ran all the construction trades for the five crime families. Then I became a cop, and then the, uh, Ralph Scopo Sr. says, you know, boy, you can't come to the club anymore. You're a cop. Mm -hmm. I said, what are you talking about? You're like a second father. And that's why I never worked in organized crime. There was always that scenario, oh, Bo knows the... I knew everyone. Mm -hmm. And I'll never forget John Guido would tell me when Guido. I got promoted because of the great Commissioner McGuire promoted me against uh, uh, against uh, the, the guy with the inferiority complex, a midget, Jimmy uh, Jimmy Sullivan, mm -hmm. chief of detectives. Because my partner, Tom Collar, and I locked up the two scumbags that raped the nun, oh, carved God. 27 cross, oh, put a broom in the, left that. her for dead. Oh. And you know what? Two broken-down anti-crime detectives were the ones that broke that case. He never could take credit for it. You know what our reward was? He shipped me to one end of Brooklyn to 7-5 Killing Fields and Tom to the other end of Brooklyn. That was our reward. The day of the promotion, because I threw my badge, I was quitting because yeah. I wanted to become a detective. I'd been up for it, but I was making a lot of overtime. So I said, who has to be a detective? I make the overtime. Finally, I said, everybody's saying, Bo, you're so good. Why ain't you a detective? I said, I want to. I had the Integrity Review Board. I wore a wire. The guy offered me 10000 cash and all that on a murder. So I had it all set up. Then they finally says, well, we've reviewed your case Six months from now, we'll re-review it. I said, no, that's not the way it's going to go. I marched out to one police plaza. There was a captain, and his captain's name was Scott. Do you remember him? Dave Scott. Dave Scott was a Dave, captain what a in the commission. What a great guy. What a great man. I walk man. in there. I threw my badge. Don on the table. I says, I'm resigning. He goes, Bo. Slow down. Slow down. <laughs> I he know. Says, I know Dave. Dave, what said, a gentleman. What a Dave gentleman. Scott, Dave he Scott. hands me my badge back. <laughs> I can see him. And he goes, the commissioner knows all about what you've been going through, Bo. Give me one day. The next thing is I leave. The teletype, they were promoting 50 detectives the next day. I, it's just like you can't write a script like this. Yeah. All of a sudden, da, 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 Bo Deedle 51. I get the detective badge, and all of a sudden, number 51 goes on there. You know what I did? I shook everyone in their hands. I looked at Jimmy Sullivan and I said, <laughs> uh, Chief, thank you very much. That's when he shipped me to one end of Brooklyn. <laughs> Tom, yeah. And then I went over to John Guido, the Chief of Internal Affairs, IED, not the Inspectional B. Services Division. Well, he was Internal Affairs he, Division. He oversaw it. Yeah. And he, I go yeah. like this. I go shake his hand. He give me a friggin' wishy-washy thing. Guido. And he goes to me, you know, Bo, I'll put handcuffs on you one day. <laughs> oh. I said, you know what, Chief? Ooh. Maybe you'll fire me for some bullshit, right. but you'll never put handcuffs right. on me because I never did wrong and I never worked in organized crime for that reason because I knew everybody I knew Fat Tony from Scopo I knew everybody Johnny Gotti but I was a cop. Mm. I wanted to work in the neighborhoods where the minorities were being robbed and killed and let me do my job and don't let me do anything else. Right. And never, ever was there an allegation of me taking money or doing the corrupt thing. And a couple of allegations. I had 40 civilian complaints. None of them found it. But when you're locking somebody up that shoots at you five times, throws his gun down, you got a little emotional going on. Mm. A little motion was going on there. Mm. If they had their cell phone cameras, they would take part B, not part A, and that's it. But my whole point was never, ever was I involved with any kind of a corruption, and I'm very honored to that. I was a hardworking cop, but then when they sent me to 7-5, first thing the lieutenant, Herbie Holman, says to me, you're in a homicide team. 
and we had a lot of homicides. And I was out there breaking all kinds of cases, and then the Palm Sunday Massacre, the rest is history. And then it came up when I was named as the arresting officer, or all of a sudden, what is Deedle doing in the seven five? You put him there, you know, from from the detective division on down. But I loved, and I love cops. And I always, I'll take a bullet right now for any one of these uniform cops out there. Tomorrow, when I see a cop pulling somebody over, I pull over, I put my duplicate, I carry a duplicate badge. I know it's probably illegal. I tell the guy, look, I'm a retired detective, and I'm just watching your back. And whether I be in Florida, Arizona, I don't care where I am. Right. A cop's a cop, and I stand by that. So I was a different. And you know what? Shame on me for not studying. I couldn't go to college. Mm. I was a champion of high bar, parallel bars. Physical fitness team. We had the Marine Corps physical fitness team in high school. We were number one in the nation. I was number one individual. So I went into cat. My physical strength was the thing I lived by because I didn't have to shoot anybody. George, I never killed anybody. Mm -hmm. I've been shot at. I've been stabbed. I've been hospitalized dirty mm -hmm. times. That's one tough cop. Whereas I could have taken 15 guys out, especially the guy stabbed me through my hand and all that. Right. My lieutenant's yelling, shoot him, Bo. And I said, behind you. And the guy turns around. I grab him in the headlock. Yeah, headlock. Nobody ever died in one of my headlocks. Mm -hmm. And my whole thing was I was a street cop that would not work today out there. Mm -hmm. And and you know what? That's the problem, the poor cops that are out there. But mm -hmm. let's continue on. So now you're a sergeant. When do you take the lieutenant's test? I took the next one that was available. I made lieutenant in 89, June 1st, 89. Good. You were moving along. And then, and then I took the next available captain's test. And they were kind of easy because it's the same crap, right? Well, you know what? They actually know you. I, well, you know what? You know what? what? School? You know what? I, I did a lot. You know, with the sergeant's test, frankly, I didn't do a lot of studying because I was in law school. I only had so much time. Yeah. My studying was literally spending a couple of days updating my patrol. You were studying the context of the patrol. Well, as I updated yeah. it, it actually worked. It got yeah. me in there. Lieutenants and captains, I you know, they, they created something called an in-basket aspect to the yeah. test. They made it a little tricky, you know, where yeah. you had the, the normal written test, then you would sit down as a on the captain's test with somebody who played the role of a lieutenant. You had to read a certain yeah. scenario. Everything was videoed. Everything was timed. But, you know, I, I was always kind of like, I was never one of these guys that was OCD, had to be on the top of the list. I was always like aiming for the middle of the list. It's okay. And it worked, you know. I made lieutenant, then I made captain in, in 90, uh, 93 I made captain. Yeah, yeah. July of 93. Wow. Yeah. So then, so then when, when I retired in 85, when Nick put me as the cover story of New York Magazine, mm -hmm. and one of the articles was uh, pencils versus bullets. Mm -hmm. In other words, studying advancing or somebody who's out there rolling their sleeves up and just being that grunge, dirty, filthy cop detective right. doing the locking up the people, committing the crimes. That's what I gave my life to. Right. And it was important to help people. We went after the gangs, the Seven, uh, seven Immortals, Savage Skulls of East Tom. They were shaking down all the Puerto Rican drug, uh, uh, not drug, all the Puerto Rican store owners, the bodegas. I used to hide in the back when the gangs come in. Yeah, I used to have fist fights. I used to punch them out, mm -hmm. and they'd punch me back, and I didn't lock them up. I told them, you come back here, I'm going to lock your ass up mm -hmm. today. But that was the kind of street guy I was right. where I was fair. I never flaked anybody. I never put an illegal gun on. I never put drugs on anybody. Mm -hmm. I got you the way I got you. And that was my whole creed, and that was my ethics of telling the truth and being there and honestly. And I'll never forget, I've been in many grand juries 
Well, did you? I used to carry a double barrel shotgun in the seven five. Was on a, when I was on a homicide mm-hmm. team, sort of. And it used to be in a brown paper bag. I had two slugs in there, and whenever I'd go into a, into a, a, a housing project, I used to put it together. And did I ever shoot anybody with it? No. But when you you know, took that out, you put it there. You click. You you cock your double barrel back. If they had a gun, they say, yeah, "I got a gun on my right." But I did use it as a weapon when a guy was fighting with detectives. And I did use it as a club to beat the living crap out of a guy that put two detectives in the hospital. I could have just shot the guy. Mm -hmm. Dead man tells no tales. I didn't do that. Mm -hmm. And that's the difference between me and a lot of other guys. A lot of other guys got combat crosses. And I could have taken a couple guys out, probably got medal of honors. But you know what I did? I saved who I could save, and I never killed nobody. Mm-hmm. And that's the difference between me and a lot of guys. Mm-hmm. So now you're a captain, 1993. Right. The job is changing a little bit, yeah. and it's starting to become a little bit more where people started turning against us a little bit, or the crime was soaring. What was going on in 93? Well, you know what? In terms of people turning turning against, that's always been uh, uh, an up-and-down situation. I mean, from the entire time... I was on the job. There was always uh, uh, constant, you know, you remember the uh, Crown Heights riots? Yeah. You know, I mean, when did that happen? 91? Yeah. You know, that was no walk in that the park. The kid for the, when they, they, there, the yeah. kid on the bicycle, yeah. I think his name was Gavin. Yeah. Gavin Cato or something like that. And then we like had that. our friend Al, Fat Al Sharpton there. Well, there, no, well, well, so there was always scenarios where we had the police officers in the middle of all kinds of difficulties. You know, what, what, what really happened, and it was just kind of luck, being at the right place at the right time for me is, you know, when I came on the job in, in 79, uh, we had like 1500 murders in New York city. And you know, you were seven, five guy. What did the seven, five get like 120 or something like that in one, one precinct every year. And, and all it did was go up. Mm. So by the early 90s, we were, we were getting close to 2,300 murders a year. I think 91 was, was the, the, zenith, was the zenith, you yeah. know? And Ray Kelly came in. He was doing the best that he could. He was trying to do community policing. But we were still staying in that 2,000, yeah, 2000 says, mode. Everybody says to me, murders are down. And one of the things I attribute to it is the emergency medical workers. Yeah. They're saving a lot of people. Whereas back in the uh, 70s and 80s when you got shot, you know, you look like you're going to die most of the yeah. time. That has a bearing on it too. Not, 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 in, 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 of course it can around, yeah. the, but I would say around the margins. Mm-hmm. Well, we you were, you were looking at in the one, one seven five one twenty. The seven five does now maybe about twenty, and it's still mm-hmm. bad. That's too many for but one. I think a lot one, of them are dead too. A lot of them yeah, are dead. The bad no, guys. No, those, those numbers, the 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 robberies, the shootings, the homicides. When Bill Brannon coming in with Jack Maple mm-hmm. in ninety four, it wasn't just Comstat. It was the whole concept. What, what they started doing in transit with the fare evasion. You know, and they at that time the subways. Nobody remember all of the graffiti. The movie, one of the movies, Escape from New York. Yeah, it was like a hostile environment. And then these guys have a plan. You know, fair evasion. We're going to turn. I'd like to sit here and say, you know, I'm a young captain in '94. I was the commanding officer and deputy commissioner of legal matters at that point. Considered to be a bit of a go-to guy to make changes and put new policies in. I had worked with Kelly, mm. and then they came in. 
And they had these ideas. They wanted to pull me in. And they did pull me in. It was Jack. I remember my first meeting with Jack in, in that office like it was like it was yesterday. Jeremy Travis was Deputy Commissioner of Legal Matters. He came in with the spats, with the bowler cap, yeah. with all of that stuff. And I'm sitting there with Commissioner uh, 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 Travis. And Maple was like, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. It was all like quality of life, this, yeah. and then deadlines. And, and I remembered Commissioner Travis. And then he came in like a whirlwind. And, but he very carefully folded his jacket so it wouldn't get any wrinkles. He was quite a guy. That was the first time I met him. And Commissioner Travis turns around. So what do you think, George? I was a young captain at the time. I'm like, Commissioner, the inmates have just taken over the <laughs> asylum. I, I'd like to say, I heard all this stuff and I knew it was going to work. I thought these guys were crazy. You know, I mean, and Braddon is talking about, Braddon is like Babe Ruth calling the shot, saying we're going to get murders down by un under a thousand. At the time, under a thousand was a big number. I thought it was crazy because why? Every year in my career, no matter what we did, we tried Operation Pressure Point, you know, a community policing. Every commissioner is doing, yeah, doing also, their also, best. George, we were able to utilize stop and frisk. Yeah, but, but utilizing stop and frisk, it wasn't working. It wasn't working because the numbers were going up every year and severe and serious violence. And then these guys come in with, they put me, I was given the job to devise the first, the first quality of life strategy for the NYPD. Strategy number five. I devised it, you know, with things like, uh, Washington. Well, well, you know, you're going after the squeegee men, squeegee. shutting down the crack houses, using the mm -hmm. nuisance abatement law, fair evasion. So I make the presentation to the executive staff for Commissioner Brad and for Commissioner Maple because the Commissioner Travis was was getting ready to retire. You know what we're going to do? We're going to do is we're going to continue this. I want people to tune into part two. I'm going to continue to another side. So everyone just stay tuned right now. We're going to go right into part two with Judge George Grosso because there's a lot to cover here. I want to put a one and a two so people listen. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com.